Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Hi, how are we today? Good? Nice and Very, very soothing music kind of puts you to sleep, which is a fantastic start when you've got to speak to a group of people. So, hey, um, one of the things, that I, my, my name's Mark. I, I have the privilege of working at a school called Mueller College. It's a uh, sister school to uh, the school that's on campus here, Carmichael. And I teach maths, so please don't hold that against me. Um, I studied maths and physics at uni. And uh, if you're wondering whether or not people like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory exist in the world, I can confirm there is a whole group of them. They hang out and they study physics and they have no friends. So this is what happens. Um, But I I teach maths throughout the week. And if I was told I only have 30 minutes, maybe once a week, to teach maths for 40, 50 weeks a year, and I was told that the students who are going to be learning this maths are only going to listen to me. They're not going to do any actual maths and they're not going to do any study outside of class and they're only going to come for a 30-minute lesson every week. I would expect them to learn almost nothing over the course of a year. I mean, they may learn a little bit, but they're certainly not going to move very far at all. And we're really aware that whilst we want this to be a place where everyone can come as they are and hopefully people can be, um, I guess, in in many ways learning more about God and learning more about Jesus and learning more about what it looks like to experience um, God in our lives, we're very aware of the fact that there's only so much that a 30-minute session once a week for, you know, 50 weeks a year can really do for someone. So one of the things we wanted to do, Jason and I were talking through the week, is offer some extra resources that you might want to take advantage of. Um, One is a book by Tim Keller um, called Hidden Christmas. And another is a whole uh, heap of talks that he has done about Christmas. If you're interested in accessing these resources uh, throughout the week, um, I'll, I'll get an email sent out. If you are not on our email list, feel free to go to the deck straight after the service and they'll hook you up on our email list and spam you for... No, no, they won't do that. So, um, But you're welcome to do that. So... Um, we're going to start, I'm going to pray and then we'll begin. Is that cool? Awesome. Uh, Father, thank you so much that you love us and care for us, that you um, see us with all our hopes and our dreams and our flaws and our issues. Uh, you don't run from us, you don't hide from us, Father, but you come towards us. Thank you, God, that God became flesh, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. Um, did anyone send letters to Santa as a kid? No, a few people did. Uh, found, a, found an interesting uh, kid called Jeremy. This is what he sent to Santa. Check this out. It's a bit hard to read. Uh, Dear Santa, I'm writing this on the day after Christmas and I'm very sad. I only received one of the two presents I asked for. Since you ate my cookies, I will assume that my missing gift was a mistake. I'll give you one week to fix this. Jeremy's pretty bold for a youngster. Uh, Jeremy got a reply back from Santa. This is what Santa said. Dear Jeremy, I'm sorry you were disappointed with with your presents. You asked for two very expensive presents and Santa can only do so much. You need to learn to be grateful for what you have, not upset about what you don't. If you continue to complain, I'll have no choice but to add you to the naughty list next year. Things are heating up. Jeremy wasn't too happy with Santa, so he replied. This is what he said. 
Dear Santa, your parents don't scare me. Uh, sorry, your, your, sorry, your threats don't scare me. I played your game and, it didn't, and you did not deliver. This is not okay. I'll give you one week and then you will pay. P.S. I don't know why you care that it is expensive when you have elf slaves to make things for you. I think you are naughty for having slaves. Good work, Jeremy. Santa's a bit upset at this point, so he replies back. Dear Jeremy, you're being a very bad little boy. Because you cannot be happy with what you have, I've talked to your parents and told them to take away your Wii U. Now you have nothing. Once you learn to be grateful, perhaps you can have it back. I'm very disappointed in you, Jeremy. You'll need to be an extra good boy this year if you want to make it back on the nice list. To which Jeremy replies, Dear Santa, I do mean when I say I will get you. To prove I am serious, I killed the elf on the shelf as a warning. Here are his insides. See you next Christmas, Jeremy. Jeremy needs some psychiatric help just quietly. One of the other traditions that people have at Christmas is not just writing letters to Santa, but sending Christmas cards. Has anyone sent or received a Christmas card this year? Some people have. I'm terrible at sending Christmas cards, but some people do. If you look at the Christmas cards that are available, these are the kinds of things that you'll find. Light of the world. Jesus came to be the light of the world, and we celebrate that at Christmas. Or joy to the world. Jesus came, and because Jesus came, there is joy for the world or joy to the world. Or this idea of peace on earth. We, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has come and now there is peace on earth. All these Christmas cards seem to have a running theme and that is that God has sent Jesus into the world and because he has sent Jesus for the world, something has happened for the world. There is now a light of the world. There is now joy for the world. There is now peace on earth. It's all about the world. It's all about humanity. It's all about what's taking place on earth. We're in a series called Light of the World at the moment. And whilst it's true that Jesus came for the world, the question I want to ask today is this. What does any of this have to do with me personally? God might care about the world, but does he care about me? Jesus may have came to bring joy to the world, but does my level of happiness in any way get transformed or changed or increased as a result of a saviour being born 2,000 years ago? Jesus may have come to bring peace on earth, but why is it that I still struggle with anxiety or stress and the chaos that my life has become? What has this got to do with me? What is it about Jesus coming to the earth, Jesus coming to be the light of the world that in any way actually impacts my life? Now, I want to look at a particular story today uh, to maybe um, address this question. Before I do this, check out this video. Oh, who is it? Ooh, it was just me, myself and I. Got any big plans this weekend? Uh, I'm gonna go to Home Depot, check out the lighting section, and. Wow, that sounds like. It's really dangerous, man. What are you doing this weekend? Well, I, I think I'm gonna go to the beach because. 
Well, you don't have to hope any longer. Oh, sweet! And can we build sandcastles? Let's do it. Perfect. See ya. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. Any Jimmy Fallon fans? No. Love him. Um, musicals are stupid. Do you agree? All the people are upset with me. They're stupid. No one does this. Who breaks out into song mid-conversation? Pete and I, or I've known each other for quite a long time now, I've never had a conversation with Pete and then he just breaks out into song. It's stupid. I know girls love them. I know that you're meant to like them because kids go into musicals. I know that we're all meant to go and go, oh, isn't it amazing? You know, the, the fish is singing. It's stupid. No one does this in real life. Everyone should just eradicate musicals from the earth and the, there would be peace and there would be joy and there would be a light of the world. Am I right? No one agrees with me. The problem is the Bible doesn't agree with me either. Actually, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, found out that she was going to give birth to the Saviour of the world, one of the things she decided to do was break out into song. To my disgust, this is what Jerry, this is what Mary went on to say. No, she went on to actually break out into song and give this incredible um, insight into what she was thinking about being told that the Saviour of the world was going to be born and that she was going to be the mother of the Saviour of the world. So if, you, if you've got a Bible there, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. Um, there's four biographies of Jesus found in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Uh, they're not about Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. They're actually about Jesus. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John are the authors. And Luke's gospel or Luke's biography of Jesus picks up and Mary sings this, verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his people. Now, this makes sense. What Mary is saying is, listen, I'm so excited. I'm so pumped that God has noticed the humble state of his people, the neediness of the people, the desperate need of the people that he has created. And she goes on to say, from now on, all generations, not just my generation, but all generations will be blessed. And then she goes on to say, for the mighty one God has done great things for us. Now, this is amazing. This is what you would expect Mary to sing. This is what you'd expect her to say. The problem is, this isn't exactly what Mary says. What Mary actually said was a little bit different. Rather than saying, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his people, Mary says, he has been mindful of the humble state of of his servant. And you're thinking, well, hang on, Mary, like, do you not know what's going on here? Like, clearly, something's happening in the world. There's going to be joy for the world. There's the light of the, the world has come. There's going to be peace on earth. This is all about the generations to come. This is about every person who's ever been created. And Mary, you're making it about you. Mary, what is it that you don't see? Why are you making it about you? She goes on to say, not from now on all generations will be blessed, but she actually says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And you're like, Mary, I don't want to be rude here, but that sounds a bit self-centred. It sounds a bit kind of like 
arrogant. Like, really, what does it matter whether people call you blessed or not? What matters is that people are blessed. It's not about people noticing you. It's not about people calling you blessed, Mary. I don't think you understand what's going on. I get that you're going to give birth to the Saviour of the world, but maybe you're not aware of the implications, Mary. This is not about you. This is about the world. And she goes on to say, not that the Mighty One has done great things for us, but the Mighty One has done great things for me. And again, you're going, Mary, look, I get that you're young. I get that you're a teenager. Maybe you're not, you know, this is, we've got 2,000 years of, of hindsight. Maybe you're just not fully aware of what's about to happen. This is not about you, Mary. This is not about you being called blessed. This is not about God noticing you. This is about humanity. This is not even just about Israel. It's not even just about people who lived in that time. It's about not just one generation, but every generation, everyone throughout history. Mary, what is it that you don't see? Mary doesn't praise God for what he's doing for the world. Mary doesn't praise God for what he's doing in human history. But Mary praises God for what he's doing for her personally. Why is Mary so focused on herself. Well, one explanation is that she's just a young teenager and everyone knows that teenagers are self-centered and they're immature and they're focused on themselves. Is that right? That's what the world says. That's what they say. You watch the YouTube videos, millennials are this, millennials are that. That's rubbish. I teach teenagers and they're amazing. They're so selfless. They're so willing to go out of their way. There are selfish teenagers in the same way they're selfish adults. But teenagers aren't necessarily more selfish than anyone else. They're not necessarily more self-focused than anyone else. Some of the students I teach are the most responsible people I've ever met. And they're 13 and 14 years old. I don't think it's that at all. So why is Mary so focused on herself? Well, maybe... It's because something happened just before Mary sang this song. If we read the context of this passage, Mary had just gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Six months earlier, Elizabeth, who was a lot older, past the age of being able to give children, and her husband Zechariah could not give birth. An angel came to Zechariah and said that your, your, your wife is going to give birth to a child. His name is going to be called John. He is going to point people to the Saviour. It's this miraculous pregnancy that Elizabeth was experiencing. And Mary came to visit Elizabeth. And just before Mary breaks out this song, this is what happened. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to explain this. When a person becomes a Christian, a person becomes a Christian simply by believing that I am a sinner and I need a saviour and trusting Jesus to save me. I put my life and my eternity into his hands. In that moment, all my past sin, my present sin and my future sin, my deliberate sin, my accidental sin, all of it is paid in full. Jesus declared, it is finished. It's done. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He was condemned so that I become uncondemnable. I am free of guilt and shame and condemnation. In that very moment that I believe, that I trust in Jesus, in that same moment, the Bible says that God gives us His Holy Spirit to come into my life 
to begin to transform me from the inside out, to make me more loving, more kind, more joyful, more full of peace, more self-controlled. And God begins to transform me to make me the kind of person he wants me to be. Now, that is how people become Christians. And when they believe, they receive the Spirit. But we are told in another part of the Scriptures that when John was born, he was not waiting to believe later in life. He was not going to receive the Spirit later in life when he believed, but he was born with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in him when he was in Elizabeth's, his mother's womb. So when Mary walks in and Mary's carrying her child Jesus... John the Baptist, who is six months in the womb, not yet born, who has the Spirit, is able to identify Jesus being in the room and leaps for joy. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to you? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is uh, is, uh, she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Now, again, I don't want to be critical, but is Elizabeth not aware of what's going on? This seems very much about her. Like if you were Elizabeth, wouldn't you be going, you know, you're much older, much more mature. You've been faithful to God all your years. The Savior of the world is about to be born. You've been living with this for six months. You know that the child you're about to give birth to, John, is going to spend his life pointing people to the Messiah, to Jesus. Surely Elizabeth is aware of what's going on. Surely Elizabeth is able to say, Mary, this is not about you. It's not about me. This is about the world. This is about not just our generation, but every generation. But Elizabeth, again, focuses on herself. It's about her being favoured, her being blessed, Mary being favoured, Mary being blessed. What are they missing? Why are Mary and Elizabeth so focused on themselves? Well, maybe they just don't know. Like the disciples, I mean, if you look at the life of the disciples, half the time they had no idea what was going on. I feel like I have half, you know, most of the time I don't know what's going on. I literally, that's my life, you know. I often think life remains a challenge for me. Maybe they just didn't know. They knew something miraculous had happened, but they didn't know it was about the world. But actually, that's not true. If we go back to Mary's song, where she breaks out into song, she goes on to say, Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now we can see that Mary is extremely aware that this is not just about her, but it's about every generation. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So it's quite clear that Mary is not just thinking this is about her. She's very aware that this is not just about her, but also about the world. It's not just about her generation, but about every generation. So if she's so aware of what God is doing, that the Saviour of the world has come, that there will be joy for the world, that Jesus is the light of the world, that there will be peace on earth, why is she so focused on herself? 
What does Mary know that we don't know? What can Mary see that we don't see? I think Mary understood something that I often forget and I often miss, and that is this. Jesus isn't just the light of the world. He is the light of our lives. Or to put it another way, God doesn't just want to fulfill his purposes in the world. He also wants to meet my needs. He also cares about me. Now, I'm very excited right now. I don't want you to get too, if you've tuned out, now's the time. Are you ready? Get pumped. Are you ready? Turn to the person. No, I won't do that. Okay, are you ready? I'm about to draw a diagram. It's a mass diagram. We're going to combine mass and Christianity. If this is all your hopes and dreams coming true, I get it. You can thank me later. Are you ready? Okay, firstly, how good are my circles, by the way? Practice circles a lot. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Now, does anyone know what this is called? Oh, someone knows, someone said it. Who is it? Dan. <laughs> what is it? Ah, oh, welcome, nerds. Okay, righto. Here we've got God's purposes and we've got our needs. And what we find is, I probably should have put the arrow the other way. I've stuffed my diagram. Anyway, okay, righto. Here's the go. I think I live in this perpetual state where I believe that God cares about his purposes in the world. Of course he cares about world hunger. Of course he cares about poverty. Of course he cares about human trafficking. Of course he cares about the environment. Of course he cares about refugees. Of course he cares about people far from God needing to be reconciled with him. Of course he cares about communities. Of course he cares about families. But does he actually care about me? And I think I fall into the trap of thinking that my insignificant cares and desires and wants and, 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 and concerns and worries are not important compared to the bigger things in the world. But actually what Mary is saying is that both are important. And we see this actually throughout the Bible. It's not just found in Mary's song, but God's purposes and our needs are often aligned together. Um, when Jesus was asked how to pray, he gave them what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may know it, even if you haven't grown up in church. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In Matthew 6, 9 to 11, it's recorded. He goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's that? That's saying, God, I want you to do your purpose, fulfill your purposes in the world. But also, God, give us today our daily bread. There is a sense in which it's about God's purposes and our needs. They're not separate. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous message that Jesus delivered, he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? And what shall we drink? And what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What's that about? That's about our needs. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things that will be given to you as well. In other words, you focus on fulfilling God's purposes in the world and God will meet your needs. When Paul writes to the church of Rome and he, he unpacks this incredible theology about what God has done for humanity, he says in Romans 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He cares about us who have been called according to his purposes. 
It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. Now, if this is true, there's a couple of implications. The first one is this. Our needs and our desires matter to God. Our needs and our desires matter to God. Check out this video. So, assessing the situation, Mm -hmm. are they breathing? No, Rose, they are not breathing. And they have no arms or legs. All right, well, let's get back to it, because you're losing them. Okay, too fast. Everyone, we need to pump at a pace of 100 beats per minute. Oh, okay, that's uh, hard to keep track. How many is that per hour? How's that going to help you? I will divide and then count to it. Right. Okay, well, a good trick is to pump to the tune of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Do you know that song? Yes, yes, I do. I love that song. <clears throat> First I was afraid, I was petrified. No, it's... Uh, 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 staying alive, okay. yes, staying yeah. alive. You were in the parking lot earlier. That's how I know you. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, staying alive, staying alive. Uh, 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 stay alive, stay alive. Uh, you can't uh, tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man, no time at all. Words it loud, women warm. Been kicked around since I was born. Well, it's all right, it's okay. You can't look the other way. Look at the door, look And the ambulance didn't arrive because nobody called 911. So you lost him. Okay, he's dead. Anyone know what we do next? Anybody? Rose? I have no idea. Anyone else? We bury him. Wrong. Eh, check for an organ donor card. If he has one, we only have minutes to harvest. He has no wallet, I checked. There we go. Fun fact, my mum went to school with the Bee Gees. Doesn't know them, but went to the same... Humpy Bong State School. Did anyone go there? Is that legit? Is that where, were you there when they were there? I don't know. I actually don't know. Anyway, there's also like a thing, like a, in Redcliffe. Has anyone been to it? Okay, my ADD is getting way out of control. Okay, so in this, in this um, video, you've got what is, I think, the most important thing, which is people trying to save someone's life and a bunch of other people very distracted by their own thoughts and random ideas and desires. And in many ways, I feel a bit like that when I'm talking to God about my, what I think are insignificant concerns, worries and needs. There's a bigger purpose going on and here I am being distracted by these little things in life. Does God really care whether I get a car park at Chermside? Some people are saying yes. (laughs) Right? Does God care about whether or not I get married? Does God care whether or not I can have children? Does God care whether or not my children are doing well in school? Does God care whether or not I get to go on my dream holiday that I've always thought about? Does God care about these things? Are we allowed to have hopes and dreams? Are we allowed to bring our concerns before God? What about world hunger? What about poverty? What about human trafficking? What about refugees? What about the environment? What about the fact that there is a... a, like literally billions of people on this planet who need to be reconciled with. How can I bring my insignificant concerns to God when there's so many other big things in the world? Well, according to Mary, I can. Because God cares about everything. Yes, he cares about saving the world from their sins. But he also cares about a young Jewish girl's hopes and dreams. And Mary recognised that and that's why she praised God for what he was doing in her life. 
Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Anything that concerns us, anything that is on our list of worries, anything that comes to mind is up for grabs. We can pray about anything and everything. And it's not just that we can, but Paul, the writer to this church at Philippi, is actually instructing us, whatever is on our worry list needs to be turned into our prayer list. We matter to God. Everything we care about matters to Him. It does not matter how insignificant we feel. It does not matter how insignificant our concerns might feel. God says they're not insignificant because we are significant to him. The second implication is this. I think we need to consider praying in such a way that we align our needs with God's purposes. Um, a few years ago, I, I, I got really confronted with this idea that what God can do in a moment is so much greater than what I can literally do if I spend every day, every hour of my entire life trying to achieve something. So God spoke a word and created the universe. He speaks a word and raises the dead. He speaks a word and calms the storms. But somehow I think, but I'm going to work really, really hard and make this incredible difference in the world. Like really, what can I do compared to God? And I didn't want to get to the end of my life and think, there's so much more that God wanted to do, but because of my, in a sense, lack of faith, my, I guess in, in, in some sense, my unwillingness to trust God and to believe that He is powerful and good and willing to answer prayer, I didn't want to get to the end of my life and think I'd missed out on all these incredible, miraculous things that God wanted to do. So I started studying prayer as much as I could. For about three years, I studied everything I could find, everyone I could read. I went through the Bible over and over again, and just, I just shifted on heaps of things. Rather than see prayer as a discipline, which sounds so terrible, really, like it sounds like a chore. Like, have you done your chores today? You better pray. We turned prayer into a chore. No, I began to see prayer as the greatest privilege in the world, that there's not just this activity that we're doing, but there's a God on the other side of our prayers who loves us and cares for us and is able to speak and orchestrate circumstances on our behalf. And I began to believe that, that for far too long I'd been way too passive in the way I prayed. I was kind of like, well, God, you know, just do your will and this, this, this. And then I began to see, hang on, in the Bible, people are pleading with God. They're asking and seeking and knocking and they will not give up. They, 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 they're pleading with God at times. You know, God says, okay, now it's, it's time to let go. To Jacob, God said, it's time to let go. It's daybreak. And Jacob says, no, 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 God, I will not let go unless you bless me. There is a sense of this incredible desperation and this desire for the God of the universe to work in people's lives. And often they would not take no for an answer. Now, as part of this study... I began to see there are certain principles that seem to be connected with God saying yes to prayer. Now, I, I want to be careful because I think that what some people want to do is turn this into a formula. If I just do step one, step two, step three, God will say yes. Of course, God has to say no at times. Like a loving father, he has to say no at times. But there are certain principles that seem to be connected with God often saying yes. 
And one of them seems to be that we pray in such a way that we align our needs with God's purposes. We see this in the life of Hannah. We're running out of time, so I'll just go very quickly. There's a a story about a girl called Hannah. She desperately wants a child, and she says this. uh, 1 Samuel 1, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. As she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then, in other words, meet my needs, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. In other words, I will allow him to fulfill your purposes. In the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Um, quite a long time ago, I met a guy called, I'm just going to call him Jim. That's not his real name and that's not his real photo. But Jim, I don't know why I've even put it up there really. Jim was a pastor and he, um, I won't go into the details, but he was given some really, really bad medical news from the doctor saying that he only had really weeks or months to live. And it was, that was it. There was nothing else they could do. Um, Jim didn't want to die. He had a family. He wanted to spend more time with his family. But he also was aware that that if he's going to stay here, he wanted to meet God's purposes. So he said to God, God, would you, God can do what he wants, but God, would you, I'm pleading with you now. I know I've been told this news. I know I've been told I'm going to die. But God, you have all authority on heaven and earth. You have authority over sickness. You have authority over death. In this moment, God, I am pleading with you. I'm asking and seeking and knocking. I'm going to keep coming and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And God, I'm asking you, would you give me 10 more years so that I can invest in the next generation of young people? I just want to be able to serve you. And what he was doing was aligning his needs and his desires and his hopes with God's purposes. That was about 10 years ago, and to this day, Jim is still alive and still investing in the next generation. What if you stand with me and we'll pray? So Father, in this moment, we declare that we are broken people who desperately need your power in our lives. We don't have what it takes no matter how much we, uh, we, 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 we work, no matter how much we earn, no matter how gifted we are, no matter how competent we are, no matter how disciplined we are, none of us have what it takes. And we stand before you today, God, with all sorts of desperate needs. We stand before you with hopes and dreams and desires. We stand here with, with all sorts of hurts and worries and concerns. And we literally stand before you, God, pleading with you, asking you, would you meet our needs? Would you come into our circumstances? Would you orchestrate things on our behalf? Would you change the hearts and minds of those people around us? And would you change our own hearts and minds? Father, in this moment, we believe you can speak a word and create the universe. You can speak now, God, into our lives and into our situation. We know that you care. Would you give us the privilege of not just meeting our needs, but also being used for your purposes in the world? We pray this in the name of the one who came to save, the one who dwelt among us, the one who is the saviour of the world, the light of the world, the one who came to bring joy and peace.
not just for the world, but for our lives. Amen.